Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Have you ever noticed how uh, often kids just seem to have more fun? Like, um, I, I don't know if you ever spend much time around small kids, but I have this theory that, like, running places, it just makes life more enjoyable. That's a, what my children model. Like, they never, ever, ever choose to walk anywhere. So I've started this thing at work that if I'm in the office and I need to go and get some lunch or go to Tesco's or whatever I'm doing, I'd just rather run there. And, um, yeah, it's working out. This is obviously where Andy, Andy started. But one of the things I've noticed with my boys is, particularly my boys, is... Whenever they're puddles of any kind, and it doesn't matter what they're wearing, like they just want to jump in the puddles. And like their feet get absolutely soaked. And you're like, that cannot be comfortable for you to wander around with soaking wet socks, and yet they'll see another puddle. And if we haven't got ahead of the game, because apparently, according to my boys anyway, if you don't specifically point out the puddle, then puddles in general, like blanket puddles, that doesn't work. So, like, what did you do that for? Well, you didn't tell me not to jump in that puddle. Dad, Jesus said that if we are to uh, encounter the kingdom of God, we have to become like kids. And uh, I think we often feel like that's like a Sunday school kind of idea. You know, it's like, well, you know, like, yeah, okay, Jesus, you know, God who knows everything. But you don't really mean us to approach our life like children. Like you don't really mean for us to like run to the shop whenever we comfortably could walk. You don't mean for us to like jump in puddles whenever we've got our good clothes on. You don't mean for us to allow our lives to be messy and not seem to care. You ever notice that? Like I have this, I can't, she's in big party, so I can probably let this go. I have a conversation with some of my kids quite often in the morning. I'm like, I can't let you go out like that. Like, your mom will see a photo, and I will get in trouble. And they just seem to have this ability to not quite care. And I think Jesus was really onto something when he said, unless we're like that, we're going to miss out on so much of the life that God has for us. We've been thinking about baptism for a few weeks. Listen to the words of Anne Lamott. She says, Christianity is about water. Everyone who thirsts come to the waters. It's about baptism. It's about full immersion. It's about falling into something elemental and wet. Most of what we do in life is geared towards our staying dry, looking good, not going under. But in baptism in lakes and in tanks, you agree to do something that's a little sloppy because at the same time, it's also holy and absurd. It's about surrender, giving in to all those things that we can't control. It's a willingness to let go of balance and decorum and get drenched. It's a beautiful summary of what life with Jesus and in the kingdom of God is like. You see, most of us spend most of our time trying to at least create the impression that the wheels are still on and everything's fine that we've got it all together, that our lives are, are great, and the worst thing that could ever happen is that it would somehow get out that we've got questions or struggles or parts of our lives that are, are a little bit messy. And there's something about Jesus telling us that when we are like kids, we get it, is about letting go of the expectations and the pressures of everyone around us and embracing the reality of what our life is and that God wants to meet us in that place and in that state. What if life 
and freedom was found not in trying to keep everything together, but rather in letting it go and trusting that God is actually who he says he is. St. Augustine in the fifth century said this about the sacraments. He said that they are an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, or another word for that is blessing. The baptism is an outward and visible sign of an inward spiritual grace. Two weeks ago, we started thinking about this idea that baptism is an outward and visible sign that our lives have been immersed in new hope, that we have been immersed in a new story, a God story, that in baptism we publicly declare and demonstrate that our lives have been immersed in Jesus and we are now dripping with hope. Last week, Stu taught on baptism being an outward and visible sign that we have a new family. The truth is, he said last week, you can't baptize yourself, right? Go home and try it. Just run the bath and go, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, you know, it's a bit weird, right? Certainly not what we find in the New Testament anyway. Baptism is supposed to be a family event, a community event. We're gonna baptize some people next Sunday night. Can I say this to you as Lagan Valley Vineyard? Please don't think that next Sunday night is just for the close friends or close family members of those getting baptized. As we celebrate baptism next Sunday night, this is supposed to be a family moment where we come together to celebrate and welcome new members into the family. I want us to finish this morning looking together at a passage from Romans chapter six. If you have a black Bible nearby, why don't you turn to Romans six, that's page 781. 781, there should be Bibles close by. Grab one, 781, Romans six. I'm gonna read from verse one to 11. Romans six, verse one says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you that you long to meet us and speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and breathe life on these words and on my words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Question, how many of you are free? Like free, really free. Don't wave at me. Sorry, Kaz. 
Most of us, I think, would say we're free. It's that moment on a Sunday where you guys go, he's asking those trick questions again. <laughs> right? I, th- I think most of us, if we're honest, would say we're pretty free. How many of you are here under duress? No, really, don't answer that question. <laughs> You're like, she dragged me here. I'm not sure what any of this is about. Um, freedom is the great aspiration of our age, right? The water that we swim in, cultural moment we find ourselves in, there's perhaps no higher or more lauded value than this thing called freedom. And I think if we're honest, most of us would say that we think we are free. And yet, if we audit our lives, if you have the courage to do that this week, take some time and get out a piece of paper and just begin to examine your lives, the health of your relationship, the flourishing of your finances, what's really going on in and around you. I think perhaps many of us, if we're really honest, after an uncomfortable inspection of our lives, might get a different answer. If you have a phone with you, just wave it at me. Just take your phones out. I know it's most of you, so some of you are like, I'm not gonna steal them, I promise. Wave your phones at me. Okay, cool, great. Here's what I want you to do. Give your phone to the person sitting to your left, right? They're not gonna take it home. They're just gonna hold on to it for a minute, okay? Just, if you think the person to your left looks really dodgy, just slip it under your seat, you know? Just give your phone to the person to your left. If you're sitting on the end, maybe just fire it under your seat or pass it behind you or do something like that, great. How are we doing? Anybody about to break out in a cold sweat? Anybody feeling slightly uncomfortable or anxious or maybe slightly nervous? It's a bit of a mean, it's a bit of a mean example. But the reality is most of us would declare, absolutely I'm free and yet we live as addicts in all sorts of parts of our lives most obviously to this little piece of technology. Before you all have a complete canary, just pass the phone back. (laughs) Pass the phone back. How many of you checked the phone when you got it back? (laughs) See, you can't help it, right? 30 seconds with this out of your being, when it comes back, you're so conditioned. You just look at it, you don't even have to think about it, it's just here, constantly. The reality is that as a culture, we are completely addicted to the idea of freedom and yet we have no clue how to get it. We think we're free, but just wait till someone cuts you off in the motorway or takes too long in a shopping line and stuff starts to happen in your emotions where you're like, yeah, I'm free, I'm free to be angry right now, right? I have a friend. He used to be a bouncer in some of the roughest nightclubs in Dublin, and his wife started dragging him along to church, and it was like, we need to get our lives sorted. And one day in the car park, the pastor of the church kind of cornered him and was like, hey, what's going on with you and God? And he went, well, not a lot, really. I'm just here for her. And uh, the pastor went, yeah, that's kind of what I've been getting a sense of. And this is a completely true story. And uh, he, the pastor then said to him, <clears throat> I, I just want to let you know I'm going to I'm gonna slap you in the face. And uh, my friend was like, that's not a good idea. 
and the pastor went, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it, so um, get ready. And uh, the, my friend said, listen, I need to explain something to you. If you touch my face, I'm going to have to knock you out and take you to hospital. <laughs> and, and that's not like an idle threat. I spend my weekends doing this without the taking the hospital part. Like, if you touch me, I'm going to knock you out. And the pastor said, well, you know, you're going to have to do what you have to do. And he sort of lifted his hand as if to slap the guy. And uh, my friend made a fist and drew back to punch him. At which point the pastor went, look at the state of you. And he went, look at the state of you. You're supposed to be a pastor. And the pastor said to him, open, open your hand. And so my friend opened his hand. And he said, what's, what's in there? And the guy went, nothing. And he went, Exactly. Like your life is just controlled by anger and violence and just the thought of a holy man like me touching your face. You're so out of control, you're gonna knock me out. My friend's brain is slightly scrambled. Before he could think of a smart response, the pastor said, what if God could actually fill the emptiness in your life? What if you could actually be delivered from this addiction to violence and anger and set free forever? At which point, totally true story, my friend's eyes filled up, he fell on his knees, met Jesus there and then, and I think it was within three months, him and his wife were missionaries in India. That's a whole other story. But the reality is, we think we're free until the circumstances outside of our control present something and our behaviors become in control. How many of you have moments every single week, going to bed at night, or on a Friday or Saturday where you're like, I really wish I hadn't reacted that way to that thing. I really wish I hadn't said it that way. I really wish this wasn't actually in my life. Our culture is addicted to the idea of freedom. We have no idea how to actually get it and live in it. Listen to the words of our friend Mark Sayers. Unlimited freedom ironically brought the imprisonment of constant anxiety. Just think about your phones for a second. We have more freedom than we know what to do with, but at the same time, our levels of meaning are dangerously low. Our idol has been exposed. Our post-Christian, post-everything society no longer looks in rude and seductive health, but rather it appears anemic, irritated, and lost. I don't think any reasoned person can look at what's going on in the world around us and think we're doing just great. We have perhaps never sought freedom more and had less meaning. The truth is most of us are slaves. Slaves to technology, slaves to the opinions of others, slaves to chemicals or the buzz of work, the adulation of our peers, the notion of being seen as strong or successful. In short, Slaves to our desires. Almost every crisis I've ever been pulled into in work has got something to do with, I just wanted to do this thing and then all these consequences happened or I got fed up being this so now I just wanna be, be that. We're slave to our desires. The biblical way of thinking about this is sin. The Bible says that we are slaves to sin. I know that that sometimes can be 
an old-fashioned word. Perhaps some of you hear me say that and your eyes roll. Here we go again. I hear it shouted about in street corners. We even painted on the side of trees. Is there anywhere I can escape this idea? Sin was never the point, though. People like me were never supposed to just focus on this idea of sin. Whilst the Bible says that we are slaves to sin, it also goes on to say that the consequences of it is death, that sin's the symptom, but death's the problem. And I don't just mean physical death. Watch what happens in your life when you live only for your own freedom and according to your own whimsical desires. I promise you, things around you will die. They will not flourish. Several years ago, um, our tribe had just started, that's our small groups, and uh, I had planned to do a night on tribes uh, around the idea of learning how to hear God through the Bible, right? Many of you understand that just reading the Bible, sometimes you'll hear God, sometimes you won't, that we actually need to learn how to not just read for information, but read to encounter God and hear his voice. So that's what we were gonna do, right? That's my plan. So we're all sitting around in a circle, everything's ready to go. I'm just about to start, and a friend of mine who'd just recently been through a divorce and had lots of stuff going on in his life and had started to explore Jesus and connect with church, he arrived late, and he pulls up a chair right beside me as we're about to start and literally looks around the room and goes, sex before marriage, are you serious? And I went, oh no. Um, Well, uh, hold on everybody, and I kind of like, was like, hey, maybe this is a conversation that we should be having afterwards. We don't need to have this in front of everybody. And, you know, he was like, yeah, 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 whatever, Andy. Listen, do you really expect me? This is literally what he said. He said, do you really expect me to be in bed naked beside a beautiful woman and not have sex with her? And we all went, well, not really. I think you've maybe missed a step or two, but, you know, so... In that moment, I did what every good small group leader does when you get asked a really awkward or difficult question. I looked at the rest of the room and went, what do you think? (laughs) And we had this um, really interesting conversation that I was working at for ages to try and get back to what I wanted to talk about. And so eventually, we ended up talking about hearing God through the scriptures. And we had a really good chat about that, and I was feeling much more comfortable and at ease. And we were going to finish by reading a passage of Scripture that I had been meditating on at that time from Romans chapter 8. And I meant to start reading at verse 14 or 15, I can't remember which, but um, I started reading a verse early, Romans 8, 13, which says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Holy Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will surely live for all those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It's this lovely kind of moment. Everyone was like, oh yes, that sounds encouraging. We're not sure what it means, but yes, that's good. And I was just about to pray. And then my friend went, wait, 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 I need to say something. I was like, oh, not again. And he said, give me that Bible. And I gave him the Bible, and then he said, where were you reading from? And I pointed to verse 13, and he started to read it. And he said, for if you live according to the flesh, the whimsical desires of yourself, you will die. And he looked around the room with big tears in his eyes, and he said, that's what happened to my marriage. This is what's happening to my career my relationships, 
I need to change my life. God's speaking to me. It was the most electric moment sitting in our living room. Some of you are here this morning will remember it. As we then got on the stand, prayed for him, and watched as God did the most beautiful thing in his life. Romans 6, verse 6, we've just read it, says we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free to sin. You need to understand, God cares so much about your freedom. There are lots of lies in your head about God wants to control me and tell me what to do and all that sort of stuff. It's not true. God wants to set you free but he wants to free you in such a way that you can never be imprisoned again. The freedom that we hear lauded about on TV or that we maybe think would bring so much else into our lives, we could just do whatever we want, that's not freedom. It's slavery and it will bring death into your life. This passage in Romans 6 that I just read is full of parallels to the Exodus story in the Old Testament. Paul's doing this very deliberately when he's describing what's actually going on in baptism. Have a friend. Hiya. Fun, fun, fun. I'm happy if you're happy. Don't panic. This passage in Exodus, we see the people of Israel being delivered from slavery in Egypt. And the way that they are delivered is by going through waters. They're taken, they're taken through a sea and those that would seek to enslave them are literally drowned in the waters. And then they go on into the wilderness towards the promised land. But watch what happens. The whole way through that journey, they're haunted by ghosts of slavery, whispering in their ears, shouting at them at times, them even declaring, weren't we better off when we were slaves? That's exactly what happens to us. So many of you, you have been set free and yet the ghosts of your slavery haunt you, taunt you, whisper and scream at you. We are free, but sin is a habit of haunting us. Paul says that we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That we too may learn how to live a new life. This is why Paul and other New Testament writers so often talk about reminding ourselves of our baptism. Don't forget, live up to the life that you've been called into because as we go forward, the slave mentality comes and nips at us and whispers at us and shouts at us and screams at us and at times we settle for a life that's just managing our issues or our dysfunctions or our addictions. The whole point of the gospel is that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that we can learn to live a new kind of life, the life God designed us to live in communion with him and that that life is supposed to be lived in its fullness here and now. Baptism is supposed to be an outward and visible sign that we have died to sin 
that just like the armies of Egypt get drowned in the Red Sea, our patterns and habits of sin get drowned in the waters of baptism. And that we get resurrected with Jesus to live a new kind of life. Verse four says, we are raised that we too may live a new life. The last part of that verse where it says a new way of life can be translated differently to say a new quality of life. The way of life there, that phrase means a walking about life. It's dripping with all kinds of behavioral and ethical connotations. How many of you understand that Christianity was never supposed to be a belief system? It was always supposed to be a life system. This is where the wheels come off and we think being a Christian is just agreeing with some statements or saying, yes, I believe that, but it not actually being embodied in our attitude and character and our behaviors and how we order and orientate our lives. This thing only makes sense whenever it is lived out. The truth is in baptism, we are immersed in a new way of living, not just a new way of believing. Eugene Peterson's translation of Romans 8, 15 sums it up well when he says, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. The saddest thing in the world is when people who have been raised with Jesus spend their life tending the grave of their former life. Managing that problem or that attitude, just trying to keep a lid on that thing without realizing that that thing has died. And we are to learn with the Holy Spirit how to live free from it. A new way of life that's saturated in the life, love, hope, and peace of Almighty God. Verse 11, Paul says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Christ Jesus. This is not future language, it's now language. This new life is not withheld for some future date, disconnected from your physical body. It's supposed to be embodied and lived out here and now. This whole idea of counting ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, it's a mathematical word. Paul's saying add it up. Add up what the gospel means. And he's actually talking about Romans 5 and 6 there. You can go home and read that later if you're keen. He said, add up what all this means. When you add up what all of this means, you realize that you are now dead to that stuff and alive to him in your life. The new life that we live with Jesus is supposed to be an experienced life not just a thought life. It's supposed to work its way out of our behaviors and all that sort of stuff. Speaking of former believers and the growing atheist population, one writer says it this way. They are very often disillusioned idealists who were, never, who were given the right words and rituals but never the actual experience. So they throw out the baby with the bathwater in their bitter disappointment. Like poor lovers, we flirt with people, we tease them, seduce them, but we do not make love to them. Most former Christians I meet are not bad people, 
just inexperienced people. Two references to sex in one sermon, sorry. Listen to that again. I wonder how many of you resonate with this. We are very often disillusioned idealists who were given the right words and rituals but never the actual experience. So we throw out the baby with the bathwater in bitter disappointment. Like poor lovers, we flirt with people, we tease them, seduce them, but we do not make love to them. Most former Christians I meet are not bad people, just inexperienced people. Listen, life in Christ is supposed to be lived. Lived. Not just thought about, or not just believed. And it is only when a family like this learns how to do this together that our community and our culture has any hope of seeing what it's supposed to look like. It is as we do the simple but hard work of allowing the Holy Spirit to form us in the way of Jesus that expresses itself in how we manage our money and how we treat those who we don't get on with and how we respond to stress and difficulty. The answer we give in the staff room when someone says, I have really hurt my shoulder and the thought wanders through us, I could pray for them. It's so easy for us to say to everyone, Jesus really loves you. It's a whole other thing to say, can I pray that you would experience the love of Jesus in your life? This thing called Christianity is supposed to be a lived thing. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I wonder what that would look like for you. James, why don't you and the guys come back up we're gonna respond in, in just a second. A few years ago, um, I have twin boys, they're six now, um, but a couple of years ago, I think they were about four. We were FaceTiming uh, Jason and Michelle Scott. Some of you will know Jason and Michelle, they lead the vineyard down in Dungannon. They're close, close friends of ours. And um, we were FaceTiming Jason and Michelle and the boys called Jason Uncle Jesse. And um, Uncle Jesse has a unique way of relating to my boys that makes no sense to me, but they absolutely love. And we finished chatting and all that sort of stuff, and uh, we hung up the FaceTime call, and uh, we're sitting around the table, and Moses just looked up, and he put his hand on his heart and said, Uncle Jesse is alive to me. And Dan and I were like, what did you just say? He's like, Uncle Jesse is alive to me. And we both were like, we actually text Jason and Michelle, and Michelle texts back, at least he's alive to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. It was a beautiful expression of a four-year-old, I think, trying to somehow put words on a physical experience of talking to his Uncle Jesse, who he knows loves him and who he loves very much. What would it be like if you were able to experience, not know or think about, but experience your Father God saying, Brandon is alive to me. 
that be like, Andrew is alive to me. Julie is alive to me. Michael is alive to me. Maybe a slightly harder question. What would it require for you actually to be able to put your hand on your heart and say, Jesus is alive to me. Like he's actually alive to me. He's not just an idea. He's not a set of religious practices or principles. He's, he's not church attendance. He's not even reading the Bible. Jesus Christ is alive to me. That's the gospel. That's what this whole thing is supposed to be about we would learn to live in the love and the life of Jesus. And whenever we gather next Sunday night and we watch some people get absolutely drenched, that's exactly what they're being raised into. A declaration that Jesus Christ is alive to them and that they are alive to him. That's the point. No more trying to just keep it all together. No more just trying to keep a lid on things. No more just trying to present that everything is fine whilst our lives are ravaged by out of control dysfunctions and addictions and habits. But real freedom that we cannot conjure up ourselves, we have to be raised into. If you're able, will you stand? settle for belief systems. Forgive us when we settle for just thinking the right things. God, we want to live your life. Lagan Valley Vineyard, I want to implore you to live up to your baptism. Go into this week full of the life, the freedom of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray.